you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb's top 250 movies. I am your host, the Stephen King trope that got left out. I am Maine, haunting your dreams, looming over the whole movie because you think you're in Oregon, but you're not. You're in me. And with me today, she is the comb, perpetually just falling from the bridge, floating to the water, just tearfully. She was supposed to be for the friends, but now she's gone. Kayla, Yossi Notch. Hi, I'm here from my watery grave. <laughs> and with us for the first time, our guest today is a bunch of projectile blueberry vomit right in your face, Landon DeFever. Hello! How's it going, Landon? It's going great. Welcome to the podcast. How do you like your stay so far? Oh, it's been great. Um, yeah, the, I'm very professional, as I've gotten the, the hint of over the past hour or so. <laughs> How dare you sell us out on air? Yeah, what the pa, hell? I've got to try to hang up, except Skype's going to malfunction again. <laughs> and then, like, we'll come back another, an hour later. <laughs> Look, Shots sometimes... Fired. I feel so attacked right <laughs> Sometimes now. there are acts of God that prevent us from starting on time, such <laughs> as Tyler's entire computer breaking. Yo, it was Skype. Such as Tyler's entire Skype breaking. I don't own Skype. I wish I owned Skype. We would. I would buy something better than Skype if I owned Skype. <laughs> then I true. would use that to record everything. Oh man! But no, on the real, I'm very happy to be here. I'm I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I really love what you two have done with it so far. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm very excited to be talking. We're excited to be talking too. Oh my God, so, it was like he punched us in the gut and then he gave us a hug. I'm very I don't know how to feel now. about him now. You know, I guess <laughs> you know, we'll just like feel this out and we'll see how it goes. Let's see, let's see what he's seen recently, what movies he's seen recently, and we'll go from there. Uh, Landon, pretend you didn't just hear that part where we were talking about you and whether we're going to hang up on you. And uh, what have you watched recently? Oh well, it's funny you ask. Um, um, recently I've watched a lot, actually. I've gotten, um, I've gotten back into like watching things recently now that there's some downtime, um, right before Thanksgiving break. Uh, I want, I went to the movie theater for the first time since September. No, not September. No, it couldn't have been that long. Um, October, I believe whenever the Martian came out, that was the last movie I saw in theaters. So, but last night I went to go see the night before in theaters. And it's the first time I've seen a movie since the Martian, which was about a month and a half ago. And I thought it was fine. Uh, I went in expecting a lot just because I really like Jonathan Levine, the director who directed 50-50, um, which also oddly starred Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen. Um, but no, it, it's it's funny, my relationship with this movie, because it started out really well, but there would be just little things in the movie that would kind of bother me. Like um, the, the film was um, distributed by Sony, and there's all this weird distracting product placement in the movie. As is tradition with Sony. I know, because, like, if you go back through a lot of Sony's films, like, there are little, like, plugs to, like, like if you look at it close at a TV, it says the Sony logo is always so, like, easily visible. Oh, it's yeah. literally a neon. It's so weird. I've never exactly. seen a Sony it, TV actually look like that. It's just, it's so distracting, and it's, it's really, it really bothers you. And then, like, like, I would get really turned off, but then Seth Rogen would do something really, really funny and and that's that's another thing I want to mention. Every single scene with Seth Rogen in this film is fall on the floor funny, but everything else is just kind of like a chuckle every now and then. Huh. I really Which like is, like how how was how was uh, JGL? JGL thing. was good when he was used but extremely underwritten. Huh. 
just like Honestly, Anakin, like, they can pitch perfect too. Exactly. And I think that's the problem because I don't know. Like I just kind of expected more because the movie is centered around him and um, how his parents died. And then the two, the three of them came together to kind of celebrate every Christmas. So uh, JGL wouldn't be alone, but it, it's so strange. Like he's just, a lot of the focus is on Anthony Mackie and um, Seth Rogen's characters, which is fine. They're both very funny characters, but it, there should have been more focus on JGL just because he was the main fu- now I'm going to say JGL every single time yep <laughs> this is what we do that acronym is going to be just inundated into my mind it's JGL oh man but well, it so, it sounds like they like is does is he basically playing the straight man surrounded by these crazy characters or is- basically yeah i think that's a very accurate perception of how he is in this movie and it, it, I don't know, like, that's not to say he doesn't make me laugh at times, but a lot of it is meant to be, like, Seth Rogen and Anthony Mackie, who were funny, but I think just Joseph should have had more of a focus on it. This is basically it's the like object the that they all act against. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And uh, But no, like, there's enough that's funny. There are really good cameos from Eliza from Broad City, who's very funny in it. Um, yes. There's There are some cameos at the end that are kind of funny that are fine like i'm not i don't know like they don't really hit super well but they're still kind of funny i don't want to i don't want to give them away that's why i'm being very vague um but no it, it's a it's a fine movie i wouldn't go back to it for a couple of years like i would watch it on cable if it was on tbs or something with most of the funniest stuff censored out but at the same time it, it, it's fine i mean i would recommend seeing it in theaters though Oh, that's too bad because Fifty Fifty is legitimately one of my favorite movies, and I, I think that movie is incredible, and it's gonna, be, and in my mind, it's always underrated because you can yes. never rate it highly enough. Yep, I know. Uh, I still, feels- still want to check this one out, but I kind of had gotten that vibe. I haven't looked at reviews or ratings or anything, just from the trailers and the massive overpromotion of it. Like almost like, yeah. please, please see this movie. Oh my it's god, really, see this movie. <laughs> it's really funny too because I feel like this movie has been way more. Maybe I'm just the target demographic for this movie. I feel like I've gotten way more advertising from it than The Hunger Games. Yeah, same here actually. I would just, well, see, okay, here's the thing. I have, like, you're talking about, like, the targeted ads on Twitter and Facebook, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I saw, like, one of those, but I've seen literally nonstop Hunger Games for the past two weeks, so... Maybe mm-hmm. they're just like, you're a girl. No, it's almost <laughs> this thing definitely has a girl. that. We have <laughs> <You> done... <laughs> Social media advertising is very much age, gender, interests. Like, that has to be the case because maybe I thought for a while, like maybe it's all on TV because I don't watch TV that much anymore. I watch Netflix and like just what I download and just watch online. Mm-hmm. But I just, yeah, I just had not gotten a vibe like that the film had been really advertised. But night before I'd gotten tons of that. Yeah, I, I I felt like the Hunger Games was kind of sprung on me too, and that's I mean I've been busy working and stuff, but it I was still surprised I didn't get more. Maybe they did a little they relied a little more on the power like, of the franchise yeah. to carry it than having to pair with Burger King and McDonald's and I don't know Best Buy and businesses. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of disappointing ambivalent maybe it's it's no 50 50 which is expected but oh definitely yeah the 50 50 is one of my favorite movies like i would say top 20 yeah Uh, 
But... We watched that like ten times when it came out. Oh, like... So good. <laughs> Probably a bonus. Gosh, I remember that was one of the like more recent movies I've seen that I saw twice in theaters. It was like that good. It made me want to come back to it and see it in that kind of a format. But uh, what else have you seen? Is there anything else you've seen recently that you wanted to get into? Or... Um, I rewatched Straight Outta Compton. Uh, we showed it on campus, and I I still love that movie. It's it's still one of my favorites of the year. See, um, neither of us have seen that yet, so please okay. go into a little detail on like just what you like about it. Yeah, um, I still really love um, how the film is set up. I still love how like well it progresses. It's really well paced. I think um, you always um, you never feel like lost or kind of confused as to like how the characters met or where they're going or how they got signed. Like it's always, it's very easily well mapped out. Um, the characters are all very um, pleasant and relatable and they're all like, just, I don't know. They're just very interesting to follow. And um, okay. I like how, I like how California is shot in the film. There are scenes that kind of deal with like the Rodney King riots that are really well done. And um yeah, that, that, those are the big things that I really love about the movie or the pacing. The performances are all incredible. Kayla, you were going to say something? I'm just, I'm sorry. I've never heard any of those human beings re- referred to as pleasant. <laughs> and so that just took me off guard it's for a minute. That, it, it's the wrong word, but I will say that the interpretation of the film, possibly of its subject and matter and characters, I would say. Yes, I've heard that it was particularly forgiving. So <laughs> there's a reason I, I haven't have, seen this. I one. have heard it's, it's well executed, but it's that definitely. know a lot about Dre and a lot of his background, so I don't know about that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it, I've definitely heard that it's done really well, but it's also definitely Kayla. Speaking of target demographics, Kayla <laughs> is well outside of so us. very far outside. So very sure. <laughs> Yeah. So I have not seen the movie, so I'm not going to give an opinion on well, it because that's unfair. It's an 8.1 on IMDb right now. If that holds up and it gets some more ratings, we'll get to talk about it at some point. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. made me wonder how it'll do Oscar-wise, too, because I think the performances are very good, but I don't know how they're going to stack up against some of the other things that have been getting a lot of buzz. You yeah. have to remember how the Oscar people vote. Sure. <laughs> the me- I mean, I would say for something... Uh, it's because it's not it's not a score um the i mean you'd think yeah you'd think music but sometimes the rules for the music um for the music categories are very weird and have very like strict or arcane rules that might leave it out um acting there isn't really i was gonna say there isn't really an original song that they throw in or anything it's not like a film like um like Eight Mile, where they have lose lose yourself attached to it, or Hustle and Flow, where they have it's hard out here for a pimp attached to it. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't think it'll get anything like that. But the score, yeah, the score isn't really what stands out to me. A lot of it is just the direction, the performances. This the screenplay is pretty bio, like standard biopic, what you would expect, except for the pacing, which is kind of in part to the script as well as in part to the direction. Yeah, it seems like one of those movies that it's it's one it's one of the most one of the biggest movies of the year, one of those talked about movies, but awards season will probably pass it by a, a bit as it is wont to do with some of the bigger blockbusters. Right. 
It was also released so early in the year. Yeah. Like, those movies always, like, that was what I was really surprised about last year with Grand Budapest Hotel, was that it ended up getting so many awards, because it was released so early in the year. Like, what, January or February? Like, maybe maybe March? Like, that's It was, like, late February, early March. I remember because I specifically, like, thought it was a part of, like, that whole crop of, like, like, American Hustle, her... Dallas Cowboy Wall Street. Club. Dallas Cowboy Club. Dallas, Dallas Cowboy Club. <laughs> Dallas I love Fires Dallas Cowboy Club. Club. That'd be a much <laughs> different movie. Oh my god. Is Dallas Buyers Club. I saw <laughs> probably. <laughs> I saw that in theaters too. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> like I just remember it like thinking that it was a part of that whole crop of movies and then being very surprised when it was for next year i want more movies that came out earlier in the year to be successful so it diversifies the movie slate a little bit i'm like i'm okay with getting some big movies in not summer season i would love to get some of the awards bait movies in not november and december so i don't have to give i don't have to go to the indie art theater in ann arbor twice a week to catch up my god that was always so great i felt about like that 2013 season was that all 10 of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture, except for the trash that was American Hustle, hmm. I really loved. Like, I was like, these are all very different and very interesting, like, movies. And then last year it was like, how many dead white people can we make biopics about? Quick, <laughs> throw British, throw the British in, go. Like, this year it's still going to be uh, biopicy, but I not am in as... biopic hell. Yeah. I hate Spot- biopics. Spotlight is about a multiple people like it's a true story but it's not just one person so maybe that'll i think i would would, no that's okay i was just gonna say i would give that movie credit though because it's it's about the boston globe like trying to like uncover a lot of the sex abuse scandal of the catholic church which i would totally which i'm totally on board for oh yeah i'm hoping to see it this coming week so that i can talk about it on the podcast next week but generally every everybody seems all on board with that movie yeah, when a biopic is done well, it's really good. But nine well, times out of ten, it's kitschy Oscar bait shit. I like, think that also benefits. It's not just a biopic. There are several. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's a story that happened, not just one person. And also, it apparently it is more adherent to the facts and less uh, prone to this wonderful person, this magical life. <laughs> but Mad Max over everything, basically. Yeah. If Mad like, Max doesn't take one best picture, please, we riot. Okay, please let that sweep the technicals. That's all I have to uh, say about oh. that. So the reason that the Oscar category, the the best picture category, got expanded was so that like movies like The Dark Knight is why it happened basically, but so that movies like okay. that could get included. So if Mad Max doesn't get included in that, or some movie to that nature, which I swear to God, if Jurassic World gets nominated for, I don't think <laughs> no. it will. <laughs> but like I will rant about it on the internet so much. I am so happy I'm not the only one that doesn't that thinks that Jurassic Park is tr- Jurassic World is trash. Jurassic World is a terrible movie and always will be. There's a reason <laughs> it's our uh, closer. <laughs> Which I guess we'll have to come up with it's something different now since we just used that. But um, <laughs> I came up with a new one. What was it? Oh, can we not with Eli Roth? Yeah. Yeah, just can we not with him. <laughs> Just not, <laughs> but yeah, got into a little bit of Oscar. Like, um, a bunch of those movies are opening up in our nearby theater, so I'm get excited to dive into those. Trumbo, uh, Carol, 
which Terrell is basically the patron movie of this podcast that we haven't seen yet. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Let's get back on the rails though. Uh, did, was there anything else you wanted to talk about, Landon? Any other movies that you wanted to shout out quickly? Or um, I'm going to run to my letterbox really quickly just to see like what I've seen, what's in my diary right now. Love letterbox. I need to catch back up it on that. It is the best website on the planet. Yes. Oh my God. I need to. I've I've been meaning the last couple weeks because I have the movies I've seen and the dates I saw them and little little blurbs written up, but I just haven't uh, caught up on it yet. But Letterbox is a great site. I think I'll be setting one up for the podcast soon. This episode sponsored by Letterbox. Sponsor us. I like their advertising on their site for their premium plan. Actually, Give it's pretty us fun. Money. <laughs> no, Letterbox is a great site. Um, but, but yeah, aside from. <laughs> Uh, aside from Straight Outta Compton and the film I'm going to recommend for recommendations, um, uh, Ant-Man, I finally got around to watching and I really liked it a lot. I also really liked Ant-Man. I still haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd recommend we it. watch it just so – that's one where I don't know exactly how you're going to feel on it. So I think we should watch it and then you can – Eva and I had a really long conversation about it after she saw it and I feel kind of conflicted about it. But like the thing with Marvel movies is that like – the first time I watch them, I can usually very easily forgive them. Like yeah. Age of Ultron, the first time I saw it, I was like in tears and like a puddle by the end because of all of my feelings. And then by like the third the time I saw it, I was like, oh, this is actually very silly and not very God well done. Damn it. Okay, <laughs> Kayla, how do you feel Chris Evans? <laughs> oh my God, I didn't even do that on purpose. Landon noticed it, so I'm just going <laughs> to. How do you feel Chris Evans' Captain America was treating the I'm movie? just saying that Joss Whedon is a disrespectful motherfucker who doesn't <laughs> understand Steve Rogers or Bucky Barnes or anything. Kayla? And also that Chris Evans is perfect and beautiful. Language. That was so out of character, I swear to God. I am still <laughs> so upset about that. Because here's the thing. He swears. He swears in Winter Soldier. He swears in Captain America. He swears in the first Avengers movie. But Joss Whedon just had to shoehorn that stupid fucking joke in there. Anyway, again, I didn't even bring up Age of Ultron on purpose. It was just what came to mind. It just get yeah, it just kind of ends up. I was actually looking at IMDb trying to figure out how I was gonna shoehorn Chris Evans into this, and I didn't even have to shoehorn him in because Landon brought up Ant Man. Now, has this, has this come up in every single episode or something, or is it just a frequent topic? Please that... help me. Save me. Every time. Every time. It's, it happened? Like, okay, so I, I had someone specifically tell me, it's kind of fun going through the podcast, because at first you're, like, resisting it, and you're trying to fight it, and trying to avoid the Chris Evans Corner every week, and then after a while you're just resigned. What just, happened with, yep. like, the first two or three episodes, it was Are brought we... up organically as a joke. Like, this it was is the Chris Evans Corner Corner happening right now. <laughs> Yeah, so it was like brought up organically and then it became a joke where I would try to shoehorn it in. And then it like we had a good streak where it actually did come up organically like every episode. And then it just I became just, its own entity. Just, so like when all is said and done, when we're someone, done with this podcast one day, somebody is going to have to go through and find out who actually is in charge of the podcast based on who gets fired how many times <laughs> and just like graph the rise and fall of the ridiculousness of the Chris Evans Corner. I think, like, by the 50th episode, you'll just have to go back through every single episode and just do a Chris Evans supercut. <laughs> this is peak Chris Evans corner right here. <laughs> this is good. I'm having a great time. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. And uh, Jessica Jones just dropped on Marvel, but I don't think any of us have had a chance to watch it in uh, the last Sadly, day. no. Sadly, no. 
Sadly, no. not yet. All right, so that's something that'll probably come up next week because I know Kayla and I are both excited to watch it. Landon, Marvel. Um, uh, on that I, I, you know, it's funny. I I have not heard much about it. I still need to watch Daredevil too. Me too. I've I, heard Daredevil is amazing. It definitely had some really good parts to it. I'm okay. excited for Evil David Tennant. Me too. It's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. But uh, or that, anything else on Ant Man, or we want to just. And you know what? I'm I'm scared of getting to Chris Evans again. Kayla, <laughs> what have you watched this week? I know you haven't watched anything with Chris Evans in it. So That's what you think. No, I... I'm just kidding. Uh, when I stopped into the video store that shall not be named, I actually noticed that his movie that he directed is out now. <laughs> so, <okay>. Why? <laughs> so, okay. What have you watched? <laughs> no. You don't get a minute. You have taken too many minutes already. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so this week I have continued my trend of being anime trash with Ben. And <laughs> we started and finished Kill a Kill in one week. Which is absurd. <laughs> which is also how I would describe that anime. It's absurd. It's like... Me- okay, so... I was really hesitant when we first started watching it because honestly, it just seems like a very fan servicey, overtly sexualized thing. But then it turns out it's actually like an awesome satire. And the way that they pull off all of like the skimpy outfits and the explicit. Okay. The plot of this anime, I literally like, I could tell you the plot to this right now and you would not believe me that that was actually it. <laughs> But suffice to say, there are a lot of feelings about clothing, which you would not have imagined. Um, There is a rebel faction in this called Nudist Beach. (laughs) And it's basically just some dudes running around naked and like hopping naked into these ridiculous laying down mecha contraptions to fight the evil life fiber clothing company. (laughs) Yep. What? So... I don't uh, I don't want to spoil it, but the twist throughout the series when you find out like what the villain is is so goddamn ridiculous. Is it a t-shirt? No. Oh. Close, but no. Just you should is watch it. It's it's super it's a super fun show and ultimately boils down to being about like female reconciliation and friendship, which I am a huge fan of as we all know having ever heard me speak. So then we started watching after that Gurren Logan, which is by the same writers and is more of like your straightforward, like dudes smashing each other up in gunmen mecha suits. And like, it kind of has that same humor, but it's definitely more like mainstream, like fan servicey, not really trying very hard. And so like, it's fun. I am enjoying watching it, but it took me like half of the series to warm up to it. Which is not usually a good thing when anime series are usually less than 30 episodes for the whole thing. And yeah, so out of the two, I would definitely go with Kill a Kill. Just because I think the characters are stronger and the writing is better, weirdly enough. And it has more (laughs) satirical humor as opposed to more, oh my god, his face is in her boobs. Isn't that hilarious? Like, is this is this Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Yes. Oh, it actually is. Hi, baby. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm sorry. My cat was just sitting in the windowsill when I opened the blanket. 
And she's so beautiful. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all I've watched this week because I haven't really had time to watch anything else because when you just drop into an anime trash spiral, that is where you stay. You just can't get out. Yep, yep it's happening. You're, you're just stuck in a room, and in each corner you find a Chris Evans in one corner. There's anime trash in another corner. We haven't even gotten to. And there are fandom. cats in the other corners, and I'm just sitting in the middle, just going like, "Someone, throw me! Like, I need a rope." The fourth corner is gay fandom. So I need like... a helicopter, fly overhead, <laughs> we... drop a rope ladder, and just like swing me out of there while the triumphant music swells, and I'm crying because, like Tom Hanks and Castaway, I'm finally free. I don't even have a Wilson. I don't have a Wilson. Is your microphone not Wilson? Blue? No, because it's like. On your side, as much as mine, it's impartial in this. Oh, my God. All right, so that's pretty much all I've watched. Tyler, what have you watched this week? All right, uh, Kayla, I can't believe you did not mention the most important thing we watched this week, which was the new John Mulaney special. Right. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I had the the uh, the great, great privilege of seeing him the last time he was in town. And so I had the opportunity to both laugh at the funny jokes and laugh at the memory of laughing at the funny jokes. Like, I remember. He did that. That was great. Yeah, just like that, just like that. And it's—I don't know if I like it as much as his previous specials, but it's still hilarious because it's John Mulaney stand-up, and he's still got those John Mulaneyisms to him. Self-deprecating, talking about how his wife or his girlfriend now wife is just a more functional human being than he is talking about a cute French bulldog who he has given an old French accent and the like, except, you know, it's presented in a way that's usually funnier than me, which is difficult to pull off, but Hmm. he manages it. Um, I also watched the first episode of Aziz Ansari's Netflix series, masters of none master of none. So good. I need to. I'm not going to talk about it much because I've only seen the first episode, which I enjoyed, but I want to dive into the rest. The big thing I watched recently is we were off last week because I took an impromptu trip to New York City. And oh, fun! Yeah, it was a blast. I spent more than twice my budget. It was great. Uh, <laughs> budgeting is not my strong suit, <laughs> uh, but I did have the chance to go to the Nighthawk Theater in Williamsburg. And, uh, which, yeah, I just, I just want to throw out there. I, I, I laugh, I laughed a lot at Williamsburg, but I also recognized how much I fit in there and I still am wrestling with. That's an armor for sleep song, isn't it? About how much Williamsburg is ridiculous. I don't know, but. I'm pretty sure it is. Probably. <laughs> I mean. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm sure there's like an Arcade Fire song about it too, because they're like. You know what? Arcade Fire can just. <laughs> Be quiet. Not wrong corner. Wrong corner. Okay. <laughs> um, but I had the chance to go to the Nighthawk Cinema. I walked past a guy wearing a Mob Deep sweatshirt, a uh, pink stocking camp, carrying a baby, giant beard, and a pair of sunglasses. He was incredible. He was beautiful. I will never forget him. Wow. I know, right? It's like incredible. a lot of specific stuff right in a row. It was My God. incredible. I walked off the subway. I almost ran into that man carrying his baby with all those things, and I loved him. But I went to the Nighthawk Cinema and I saw Room, the new Brie Larson movie that has been just – people have been losing their minds about it, or at least about Brie Larson. It seems likely that she's going to be one of the nominees for Best Actress. I really enjoyed the movie. It does have some things that didn't totally work for me or like 
I think it's well done, but there are certain parts that I think of could have I think could have been done better. But I feel like it does a very good job of hmm, kind of just being in the experience of this child because the child is the main character in the movie and uh, Brie Larson is incredible, but it is the kid's movie. And I feel like they did a good job with this kid. The kid is loud and screechy sometimes because there's a child and that's what children do. They are loud and they screech, but also has these quiet moments. And the movie isn't so much how the kid sees the world, but it's just from the kid's perspective, how we would see it from the kid's perspective. Uh, which I thought was part of it that I thought was a little weaker too, but all around an emotional roller coaster of a film that left my heart just like it felt like it had been squeezed and squished and like, but also swelled to like enormous sizes, and I was just drained. I was emotionally drained by the end. I'm walking around Williamsburg, and I'm like, I can't even delight in these hipsters right now. I'm just too. I have no emotions left to feel towards them. I just need a moment. I need a moment. But it's definitely worth seeing. I think it definitely belongs in the conversation, the awards conversations that it's already in and will become an even bigger part of as those other movies start coming out. And Brie Larson, Let the Right Films in All-Star, we have loved her for a long time. And it's just awesome to see her getting a role like this and also getting recognized for her work in this role. I just want to shout out Short Term 12, which came out last year, two years ago. Another great movie that she is really incredible in, and that she is the she is this more the star of that movie. And honestly, I think I like that movie more, and I like her in that movie more. But I'm not gonna begrudge this movie for getting her some of that attention. Yeah, that's uh, what I watched this week and felt and seen. It's been a hell of a ride. Hmm. But we should probably get to the movie we came here to talk about, which also involves children, but they're a little older, they're a little less screechy. Yes. We watched Stand By Me. You guys want to go see a dead body? When the night has come and the land is dark. We interrupt to bring you an update on the search for the missing 12-year-old Ray Brower. Kid's gone. They're never going to find him. Not where they're looking. And the moon is the only We'll see. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. We're gonna be famous. We're gonna be on every radio and TV show in the country. If I can only have one food for the rest of my life, that's easy. Pass. Cherry flavor pass. No question about it. I like to go someplace when nobody knows me. Stand By Me is the 1986 movie directed by Rob Reiner based on the Stephen King short story, The Body. It currently ranks 179 on IMDb with a rating of 8.1. It's also got a 91 on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 95. Pretty roundly well-respected, well-regarded, fond in our memories. It was made with a budget of $8 million and ended up being a huge sleeper hit. It only opened in two theaters, but two weeks later, it was the number two movie in the box office. It made $52 million, which is a lot of money in 1986. In 2015 dollars, thanks to Box Office Mojo, that is $117 million. This R-rated movie 
about these four boys' journey made the equivalent of a one hundred and seventeen million dollars, um, which and which made it number thirteen in the box office for nineteen eighty six, the year that was won by Top Gun, mm. the American classic, the greatest movie ever made. But yes, uh, this movie proved to be. Um, really big for all of its stars naturally but especially will wheaton and jerry o'connell it was a like their first or among their first roles and was their biggest river phoenix just we'll get to his sad early death but he had quite the run of movies and this was just a number of his box office successes and can't leave off good old uh cory which cory was it again not cory cory taylor Corey Taylor. It is not Corey Taylor. <laughs> oh my God. Corey. It'd be Feldman or Haim, right? Feldman. Corey Feldman. Feldman. Yes. Jesus. Okay. Corey, is Feldman. Corey Taylor the singer of Slipknot? <laughs> I think that's who that is. Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure that's who that is. And Corey Feldman, but Corey Feldman had been in the business since he was, I don't know, probably in his mother's womb still. It probably appeared in like baby commercials, but big for all of its stars regardless because it was such a big hit. And I gotta say, I'm gonna talk to Landon first about his feelings before I get to mine. Okay. Landon, you were the only one who had seen this movie before, so I do want to talk to you a bit about your initial feelings on the movie, when you first saw it, how it hit you. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your, your relationship with this movie. Hmm. Um, let me think. It was never, like, it was never a movie I watched when I was, like, super young or anything. I remember the first time I watched it um, was in college. I don't, I think it was just on TV one day, and I just turned it on. I remember people had been talking about it, and a lot of people really uh, gravitated toward it, so I wanted to check it out. Um, but, yeah, no, I I, re- I like this movie. Uh, it's not a movie that, it's, it's not one of my favorites. I would say that... Um, I would say that there, in retrospect, there are better coming of age movies than this. Um, my like, in like the coming of age genre of film is one that I like really, really like. I don't know, just kind of like adapt to. Like, um, I don't know if you guys do this. My favorite movie is Boyhood. If that gives you any idea of like, like my attachment to this genre in general. Ah uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Do you guys like Boyhood? <laughs> I have yet to see Boyhood. I really I, want to see it. I that... liked Boyhood. I didn't think it was as good as everybody else in the entire universe thought it was. Okay. That, that, okay, that's good. Uh... <laughs> I liked it, but I feel like if it hadn't been made over 12 years, it would really be nothing special. Okay. Okay, I can understand that. Um, <laughs> that's no, that, revenge for your just, shots fired just, at the beginning of the podcast. I just wanted to no, well, that's like fired. I don't, I don't want to get into that because I have a lot of, like, I have a lot of positive thoughts about that movie. But yes. Okay. Anyway, continue. Anyway, but no, um, yeah, it was it, this was um, but anyway, this was never a movie that um I regarded as like a favorite or anything. It was just always a movie I thought was good but there are a few aspects in particular that i think are great that really stand out to me um but aside from that i think it's a good strong movie it has a lot of emotion uh performances are all strong um they're only i when i was making notes for this i made a good column and a bad column and there are only like three things under the bad column everything else is good 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 so i yeah but yeah i really do like this movie um yeah it was never um yeah, I never, I don't have like a super special attachment to it, but I do like it and have a lot of fond memories of it. So, 
Now, Kayla, you were uh, not exactly looking forward to this movie coming in. Uh, why don't you talk about like what you thought it was going to be and what you what it ended up being for you, what you ended up thinking it was? I'm always hesitant <laughs> about movies like this that are so strongly focused on male friendship because, one, so many of the so-called like greatest movies of all time are basically about that, and it's... It's very hard to relate to that, kind of, because the kind of friendship that young boys have is so, so different than the kind of friendship that girls have when they're kids. And it, in a way, it's a lot simpler, but also a lot more complicated. Because, like, for instance, they spend half the movie beating each other up and half the movie crying on each other, which I feel like that's... <laughs> well, it's a really... <laughs> When you look at the way that children are raised, obviously young boys are usually taught that their emotions are stupid and that they shouldn't talk about them. So like throughout this whole movie, you have them kind of being like, oh, I guess I'm a pussy because I'm crying. And then kind of having each other validate their feelings, which I think is actually really positive. So basically I went into this movie expecting it to be like this giant like, we are boys. We are going to beat each other up and have fun and be rambunctious. And then we will grow up and have learned a valuable lesson. Like that was literally I, like, that was what I thought. And I was really not looking forward to it because that movie has been made so many times. I can't even stand it. No, but, Kayla, I have a question. Just yeah. I'm kind of going off of that. Are there any movies that you feel follow those tropes too closely that you don't appreciate them? Well, like honestly, boyhood kind of had that for me where it's like, I feel like there are better ways to express like the confusion of being a a boy child than the way that is often presented in films where it's basically like I got beat up, I had an emotion, so somebody thought I was gay. Um I thought a girl was pretty. Like I feel like you guys are a lot more complicated than that and because of the intense stifling of young male adolescent feelings and whatnot you often kind of get shortchanged in that way, like when you're supposedly being well represented on screen, if that makes sense. I guess I never got that vibe from Boyhood. I think um, while it is very singular and like just very basic rudimentary emotions, I think it is very grand in scale. Like just what we were saying, like how it was filmed over 12 years and how they shot a little bit over time. Um, I think that what I liked about Boyhood especially was that I think they don't try to go overboard with those. I kind of like how they just kept it simple, like how they could just show like one scene where he gets, where he like, I don't know, get where he's in the bathroom and he gets, he gets called gay. And like, I think that was just pretty much all you needed. I think like if it was any more then it would have been kind of off putting. Cause I don't know. Cause like it, it brings up a bad memory. Cause I, I, I like, I dealt with a lot of that when I was in middle, like elementary and middle school and, I think it would have been a little bit too much to have been constantly reminded of that, but it was, I appreciated how they just briefly touched on it and moved along. And I like how they cover a lot of little things like right. over the course of the 12 years. So I would defend boyhood in that aspect, but I can see how someone could. Well, get... and I also think a lot of it is that like, so for instance, like you have that experience, like for me, like a lot of, like a movie like Stand By Me and like a movie like Boyhood, a lot of those experiences are completely foreign to me because I would have never experienced something like that growing up. So for me, basically, I was I went into it expecting to be annoyed and disappointed the whole time. And what I found was that it was actually 
much more emotionally affecting than I thought it was going to be, especially like when they're talking about their parents and the various shitty ways that their parents treat them and stuff like that. Like that's something that I can relate to. Like I've had a lot of issues like with my family life growing up and yeah, so it was kind of nice to be proven wrong, I guess, (laughs) because I sometimes will really get ahead of myself when deciding opinions on things that I haven't seen, (laughs) which is probably not a good thing to admit on our podcast about movies that I mostly haven't seen. This is why we're going to see Ant-Man before we talk about. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) but yeah, so that's basically, that was my initial feeling and being proven wrong and appreciating being proven wrong, et cetera. Okay. And um, so I had also never seen this movie, but this is very much in my wheelhouse. I'm also a big fan of coming of age movies I cried the first time I saw The Breakfast Club, um, Perks of Being a Wallflower, when I finally watched and read that, really affected me. The Way Way Back was super disappointing because that was a bad example of a coming-of-age movie, in my opinion. No, no, I just think it's bad, honestly. Have you seen The Way Way Back? Um, I haven't. um, I've seen Perks, and I will say I I really like the book. I really liked the movie the first time I saw it, and then I watched it on MTV. I rewatched it on MTV recently. And I did not like it the second time around. Really? That's Man, I, the movie itself I just didn't like. I I guess, I don't, I don't know how to kind of talk about this, but like I kind of got a lot of these, had a lot of these feelings come up when I watched Me and Her Own the Dying Girl too. Mm-hmm. I we have yet kind of, to see the, that one. Um, I've tw- I've tweet- I tweeted about it a little bit, but I guess I'm just kind of sick of movies that are just kind of whiny white people just going through the motions like nothing specific they're just uh, just going i'm just going through typical stuff affluenza yeah <laughs> it's a pretty common thing which is why i think makes it you have to be you have to do that really well to See, not get away with that but to, yeah, to get away with it <laughs> i think the perks kind of for me like i grew up in a very very religious environment well, Tyler did too, I guess. We grew up in a so, very, we grew up in a really weird, stifled environment. So I read The Perks of Being a Wallflower when I was in high school, and I just remember feeling such a sense of understanding when I read it at like fourteen or fifteen, and being like, "Oh my god!" Like, okay, somebody out there understands. It's gonna be fine. Like I just remember feeling like at peace, like knowing and understanding that there were people out there. And I feel like Perks does this whole like sad white people thing a little bit better because like you do kind of have like you have a girl in there who's dealing with her own shit. You have um, Patrick dealing with his sexuality and stuff right. like that. So it's not just like the straightforward like "woe is me, I'm a straight white boy having all of these sad times." Like it, I feel like it does a good job of focusing on all of them as a whole. The only issue that I had with the movie is where it kind of it cut out um, in the novel. His sister gets an abortion and it's like a oh, huge. Yeah. yeah, it's like a huge part of the book where like he takes her to the abortion and they don't talk about it. And then she breaks up with her abusive boyfriend and like gets her life back on track. And like I know they had to cut it to get a PG-13 rating instead of an R rating. And like I guess if I had to pick something like I would rather it be that PG-13 rating so that like, you know, the intended audience can actually see it. Yeah, and that's a good point too. I, you know, that's why I've never. I don't think I've. Ever, yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a PG thirteen movie ever talk about abortion. Absolutely not. It's super taboo. I, I didn't realize it was. Yeah, it, exactly. We should do a bonus episode on MPAA ratings. That would be fun. 
Oh, this came up with the train spotting episode too, yeah. with woman enjoying sex. You gotta cut you gotta cut that out. Yeah. Um which I think makes Stand by Me even more interesting, especially its success, is because it's a move. It's about these young boys, and it's rated R because of their language and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to point out one of my big takeaways from this movie. I just finished rereading it, quite Ooh. literally two days ago, <laughs> and oh my god! <laughs> if I didn't know that Stand By Me was based on a Stephen King story, I would have known it five minutes into this movie. (laughs) Because Maine is quite literally the only Stephen King... Well, Maine and certain horror elements are the only Stephen King tropes that didn't make it into this movie. Because this movie has, and let me... uh, I wrote them down here. It's about... It's about a group of young boys bonding, which it is five boys or six boys and a girl in the parts about their younger lives. But it's a lot of it's five boys and one girl. It's a group of young boys bonding for the most part. Uh, There are the big bullies, the older kids that give them a hard time and are probably a little more violent than people think most bullies are. Like they're a little more murderous in intent. Mm -hmm. Uh, The brother died. The brother of our main our main young boy dies in the story, which also happens in it. They use the term baby stuff. And I, also it's very bittersweet because Stephen King is all about real life and how things would happen in real life and not happy fairy tale movie endings. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's just like so Stephen King. And as a result, I really enjoyed the movie as well because I really enjoy coming of age tales. And I think Stephen King does a really good job with his telling of these young boys tales because they're not the things that Kayla dislikes about the poor renditions renderings of them. They're smart and they feel true. And they're like empathetic to the empathetic to the children without totally catering to the children, without underestimating the children. It invests them with like real emotions and feelings. And it, it, uh, their fears are very real and they're all and they're also able to interact with you know adult real adult things like they interact with them in a different way but it doesn't sell short the fact that they have to in their capacity to do that people really don't give Stephen King enough credit um Steve King Steve that's my bad Steve King here he is Steve King on this podcast <laughs> thank you well like he is legitimately a very gifted author like There are Stephen King books that are legitimately about just walking for 700 pages, and yet he can write that in the most compelling way imaginable. And yet he has definitely a lot of duds, but you also have to remember that he was like an alcoholic drug addict (laughs) and was selling things for money for a long time. So... and the thing is, even with those duds, how many authors can say they've written so many pieces that have, have have such a permanent place in popular culture? And then I think the amount of hits that he has, like it it carried this. Like I can like I can keep going. Like like how many authors can say that they've left that big of an impact on popular culture that they can't forgive some books that don't hit hit their marks exactly look at how many movies that are like just based on his stories shawshank redemption is a stephen king story how the fuck did i forget about shawshank because that's one of my favorite (laughs) movies uh eternal number one for some reason on the imdb stand by me one of like it does not have that it and the stand were both television miniseries that don't have the critical acclaim but they're still 
two of the more famous television miniseries to happen. The Shining, which is obvious, he's yep. not a huge fan of, but is one of it's based on one of his stories and is now one of the most fam- like famous horror movies and most respected horror movies of all time. Like mm-hmm. Stephen King's stories, like they they last both in print and in their adaptations. He's a great example of like how we were talking about the difference between like highbrow art and pop art in one of the last episodes. And I think that Stephen King is a really good example of the crossover between that, where he has those pop sensibilities to his work, but also it's imaginative, creative, just very compelling and emotionally hard hitting. Like he knows, like he knows what he's doing basically. And I get really annoyed when people write him off as like, Oh my God, you're reading a Stephen King novel. Like, yeah. Yeah, let's not good. treat him like Dean really Koontz good. here. Come on. Yeah, oh my god, don't even get me started on Dean Koontz. Ah. <laughs> let's not. <laughs> let's not. <laughs> but that's that's what it, it's overwhelming with this movie and part partially because of my own the what I bring to it. it the whole time I'm thinking of this as a Stephen King movie and Rob Reiner is just he's there's some actually I really enjoy some of the shots and some of the choices Rob Reiner makes in this movie and this is part of his kind of incredible 85 to 95 ish run um but this to me is like a stephen king young boy's story lacking some of the horror through and through Mm -hmm. but even without like the the whatever silly horror character or you know terrifying horror character could be involved it's very similar to his other stories because it has it deals with these kind of terrifying adult themes, which are the real monsters. I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up Rob Reiner because I think the direction in this movie is great. And I think that like, this is a, like an under 90 minute movie and it never feels like anything is cut too short. I feel like the film is like really well paced. And I think it's like you said, like a lot of the shots are really good. And I think a lot of people for, kind of forget about Rob Reiner when they think about really good directors. Cause looking at Rob in mid 80s to mid 90s this when harry met sally misery princess bride a few good men all of those i consider to be very good to great movies and i think a lot of people kind of glance over them when they think about great directors during that time mm-hmm. well, and i'm really i'm really glad that like it, it kind of, i'm glad that he can do something like this too because i think it shows off a lot of his versatility and that doesn't even mention some of his other movies during that run. Like he did Spinal Tap and a number I, of yeah, other movies. I almost said this is Spinal Tap too. <laughs> I could, I think that's considered a great movie. <laughs> even his movies in that period that maybe not be as critically acclaimed are still huge. Like A Few Good Men and The American President are in there too. It's like that dude had a run from 85 to 95 and just killing it. Yeah. Ever. And now he makes, and so it goes and <laughs> And rumor has it. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. Those are all amazing movies. <laughs> you know, we got... I have to go wash my mouth out with soap. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, and well, not, not, sure. also, like, just to mention, like, the, it takes a very skilled director to get a group of children together and make a good movie oh, with yeah. child actors, Definitely. especially in the 80s. And four of them. Like, this movie is... For child actors. It is, yeah, it's literally carried by babies. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like, I just. River Phoenix may be a prodigy, but like, still damn impressive. Well, like, I noticed even, like, so, like, the first scene, I felt like, oh no, like, this is a little bit clunky, but like, 
as the movie progresses, I feel like probably just like as they shot, they just got better. Yeah. And like you can definitely just see like there's definitely a, a, a flipping point where it's kind of a very goofy, like over the top, like we're going to go into the woods and find this. And then when R- R- Phoenix pulls, what's his face? <laughs> Very good at this. Gordy? When Chris pulls Terry off the train track, I feel like that's a very definitive, like, switch from this goofy, campy, we're going to go to the woods to when they realize, like, all right, like, we're going to do this, and it's going to be a real thing, and we're going to live in the woods for two days and try to find this. And the audience realize, oh, this is going to deal with some very serious issues that these kids yeah, have. Yeah, it's not just these goofy kids going into the woods. It's a, a group of boys with a lot of very serious home issues and a lot of serious emotional problems boiling very close to the surface. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned the child actor part of it because, man, talk about a film that put their chips on the right squares with Will, with Will Wheaton, John Cusack, Jerry O'Connell, Kiefer Sutherland, all these like went on to have such fruitful careers. Like these are all like, like arguably like a B list stars. Like they're all like really, really solid and strong. I mean, the least successful ones are Jerry O'Connell and Corey Feldman at this point, probably. And they've, they've done well, Jerry O'Connell easily, I guess, but they still found work though. And they still kind of do find work. Oh, they still have careers going on. Like it's, (laughs) it's impressive how everyone in this movie that mattered has kind of kept going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keith, I mean, Keith Sutherland was pretty like, I, I don't know that he's a little too over the top, but I was still like, you can tell this guy's going to keep acting for a while. Like, I felt like he was over the top, but he was, it was over the top in a way that still felt real. Yeah. It was definitely like, it was very convincing. Yeah. Like you definitely felt that there was an actual danger of him stabbing somebody at some point. Yeah. And that's the only, um, that's the, one of the only bad things I have, not Kiefer in general, but, um, just coming from someone that hates stock bully gangs in movies and TV and stuff oh, like the, the group in this movie doesn't really change my mind of that fact. Like, I feel like it could have still been a, I don't know, like, I know it's an adaptation, but I feel like you could have cut that gang out and it still could have been like, oh, we heard about it, like, on the radio. Let's go find it. And then they come to their own terms, like, when they see the body, we shouldn't be taking this or we shouldn't be taking credit for this. It could have just been, like, the three older boys who hung out together, not the gang of Cobras. Or even, like, if they, like, I feel like this movie does such a good job of giving a lot of emotional nuance to the boys so maybe make the bullies more of like that same gray area, you know. <laughs> Just keepers straight up evil, and he's got a bunch of weak-minded boys to follow him along the way and carve stuff into each other's arms yeah <laughs> so i feel like with just like maybe a little bit like the bully gang could have been effective with a little bit more nuance no. yeah <laughs> i would i would agree with that yeah i liked it better when it was just the three guys like the rest of the gang you didn't need the whole gang to be threatening like three bigger boys could be very threatening to these four younger boys and the thing is the only scene in this movie where i was like kind of really scared for this gang or of this gang is where they're kind of um spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie um where they're doing that side-by-side race in the cars oh yeah and like he almost runs into that into that log truck yeah, it's I, I'm actually was actually kind of surprised how well it worked establishing that Kiefer's a psychopath. Yeah. I, think Ace, I think Ace is his name because each time it does it, part of me wants to think that it's a little too over the top, like or enough. We get it; he's dangerous. Sure. But that chicken scene was 
pretty good. And I, maybe it's just Kiefer, the way he's cool about it. He called, he said, he said, looking back on the movie that he was clearly playing like a violent James Dean. But yeah, it's that, Which is that, funny considering who River Phoenix spent his entire life being compared to. And that kind of brings up the other point, like with the chicken scene, I think one of the strongest parts of this movie, well, the strongest aspects of this movie is that I think it draws suspense. Well, yes, I think, I think um, in a lot of these, like it's like the structure itself is very episodic. They'll decide let's go. And then they'll have the first scene where um, he's on the train and he gets pulled off. And then they, um, and then they're on the train, they're on the train again. And then he's telling the lard ass story. And then it kind of cuts back between the bullies. Like, but I think there are particular scenes that really stood out to me. Um, I think the chopper scene is is fantastic. I think like you really feel the like emotion and intensity of that dog running toward Gordy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the second train scene is probably the best scene in this movie. I've never there there. It's so intense. I like, was legitimately trembling during that scene. It was just it's almost unfair. Like it's just so well shot and well well done and i i think that scene really sticks out to well me stressed <laughs> yes and i mean the mo- the movie it looks like the period it comes from so i wasn't necessarily which is a, a millennial bias i'm sure not expecting to have those <laughs> only only modern movies and our tours have those great shots but there were a number of shots in this movie still shots that i thought were really good where the two forks of the train track come together as they're setting off on the their journey when they're playing the rock in the can thing. I there are a number of just really still shots that are just more strikingly beautiful than I expected. Mm-hmm. Well, we've touched on that before. How like the increasing commodification of movies, where in the eighties and the nineties you could have a lot of different types of movies, mm-hmm. and I feel like there was a little bit more artistic freedom. And now it's like, okay, you either are an Oscar movie or you are a summer blockbuster movie. Oh, this movie would never get made now. Oh, absolutely. It's a rated would... R movie about young young kids. It'd be like the weird indie darling, maybe. Like, Boyhood itself is something of an exception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like because we're so caught up in this culture of film where it's either this grand sweeping artistic achievement or this bat shit crazy everything's blowing up blockbuster it's like or it's cash of some kind yeah like we kind of have lost that nuance i Mm. think or just like the steven soderbergh he quit movies because he lamented the loss of like the middle budget movie or like you know smaller smaller stakes movies made for adults or like the 50 million dollar budget movie like the middle ground is kind of gone which sucks because I feel like if you look at the IMDb top 250, mm-hmm. that's honestly what a lot of the movies on there are. Like yeah. aside oh. from obviously the big cultural impact ones. It's all on TV now. It's the big thing is you go to TV for those things. You go to TV to get your Mad Men, your Breaking Bad, your – I mean Game of Thrones is the bigger thing. Yeah, but, but I like feel like some of those – some of that um, – pay the premium cable fare. Yeah, but I feel like there is something to be said about a good like hour and a half long story oh, like that, and I just don't understand. Proponent. Yeah, where where <laughs> that just disappeared to in the past twenty years. Also, Landon mentioned earlier about how this is a ninety-minute movie that doesn't feel cut short or anything, and I I just want to throw posit I am one of my favorite things is a movie that is ninety minutes or less, 
And it's just a nice, tight story, and it's just a good movie, and you don't have to dedicate two and a half hours to it or even two hours to it. Like, I love movies that are like 90 minutes. Like the movie Grand Piano was like a 75-minute thriller, and I hear so often, oh, they just didn't have enough to fill out the whole movie. Why even make it? I love when a movie can just be like a short story, like you know, mm-hmm. this is based on. One of them, I was going to say, like, the list function on Letterboxd, there is a list um, of, like, I swear to God, like, 300 movies or something. It's called <laughs> Great 60 to 90 Minute Films, and the it's, like, when you don't have the time to watch a three-hour blockbuster. Yeah. Or a three-hour epic or anything. I'm glad that list exists, and I must find it. It's. I will send it to you. Like, I'll send you a link so we can put it in the show notes or something, but mm. it, is, it is so handy. Like, if I'd ever just, if I'm waiting in between classes and I just want to knock something out really quickly... I, it's it's so handy and useful. It's like, and like now we often have to do like an episode of television for that if you want like to do something quickly. Mm-hmm. If you're not binging, that is. But <laughs> I love I love being able to fit in a movie or two and still having some day left. It's not like <laughs> oh I went to work and then I watched this three hour movie and now wow it's uh, wow I'm going to bed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, can we go back for a second? What is this? Watching one episode of TV. Well, you see, Kayla, back when our grandparents were young, <laughs> this thing called MASH was on. What? And it only played once every week, and 50 million people watched it. I don't, I don't understand. Did they stream it? <laughs> yeah, they had, this, no, no, I'm they had in... this thing called a television. No, I'm it was feeding like a into big this millennial box. stereotype that I actively hate, so no. <laughs> We've become what we've always hated. <laughs> you either live long enough to be the hero or die. Wait. No. I got that wrong. No, <laughs> anyway. No, you, die- no. <laughs> you either die the hero. Long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> you either die the hero Kill it. or villain no. live. <laughs> you almost got this. <laughs> You're doing I'm so Batman. well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Anyway. <laughs> So one of my favorite parts of this movie, and I think the thing that a lot of things give this movie weight, it represents the kids really well, but the the heart of the movie is clearly the friendship between Gordy, Will Wheaton's character, and uh, Chris Chambers, the River Phoenix character. Like, they are the one, Vern and Teddy, they both, I like that they are both given their emotional, like, their backstories are there too, they have emotions, and they, their friends help them deal with it. But a lot of the heaviest lifting is between those two main boys. And that's even seen in the end. The other two drift away while those two have more of a connection. And they go on to do greater things. Yeah. And that connection kind of, it benefits both of them. Like they both become better people. They help each other become better people. And I think that's the most beautiful part about this movie, despite its bittersweet ending, is that these, these two boys have that friendship and that friendship is it's beautiful it is positive it put it makes them both better people because they're able to be so open with each other and honest with each other even while they're giving each other shit (laughs) and i well yeah and i touched on that earlier i think a good a good thing that happens in this movie is that all of their emotions are validated by the others like when Teddy is getting dragged away from the guy that's telling him his dad is a loony. Like they all pretty much are like, we don't understand why you like your crazy dad who beats you. But like, yeah, your dad still stormed the beach at Normandy. That guy doesn't know shit about your dad. Like they, 
back him up and like they don't just like immediately resort to like teasing him and picking on him for crying and I think that's a really nice thing throughout this whole movie is that all of them get to have their emotions they get to talk about them they get to deal with it in a way and that's something that you don't really ever get to see in a lot of movies that are about male bonding because you know you got to do the whole no homo thing and not be too strongly feeling about each other and whatnot so stand by me um, is a, is a story about young boys being able to do these things, which I think is important. It's important at a young age that you uh, encourage boys to have these friendships. As uh, boys get older and become men, <laughs> I feel I feel like it becomes even harder to have those relationships or to talk about those those uh, close male relationships. Um, bringing up my dad again, weirdly, like my dad has like this this guy friend, and they were just like good friends and it's not like that joking bro thing or whatever it is or it isn't like this we're close but we keep it distant because we don't want it to be weird like they're just really good friends and that's really good for them and it's really good to see that in movies and there's like this over the past 15 years especially in the comedy world we touched on a little bit earlier with the night before uh with seth rogan and jgl there's been this weird uh, it's kind of it's dealing with a lot of these movies have been dealing with male friendships the seth rogan movies the jonah hill movies and all that and it's like a fine line to walk because some of those uh, about these bros are totally just like not, no homo but we love each other but not like that dude but there are some i feel like more and more some of these movies are embracing the male relationship and they'll make like a couple jokes or they'll like have an awkward moment or something, but I feel like they're getting at least a little better on a mainstream comedy level of all things. As a society, as we move away from that, like compulsive heterosexuality, we have more freedom to do that because obviously back in the day, it was disastrous to be like, perceived as anything other than straight yeah and this so movie now had to be have... about children exactly. so it wasn't so, sexual so now that you have that pressure taken off like we have more freedom to work with that and i will and I, i'll add to that like in defense of like a lot of like uh, the entire apatow umbrella that i feel like a lot of those films kind of fall under i would say that they definitely have gotten better um like the 40 year old virgin is my favorite comedy of all time uh i'll just say that mm-hmm. uh, i'm i will be the first to say that that movie has problems like i know like the you know how i know you're gay like that scene goes on for fucking five minutes yeah. and mm-hmm. stuff like that but i think like as time as times progress and as we learn more about like what's 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 socially acceptable. Norms change. I think that a lot of those films are starting to get better and are starting to realize like what's what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what makes people uncomfortable. So I, I would still give them credit for that at least. Of course, oh, yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do is to give them credit because although the Apatow umbrella are the ones kind of putting forward some of those movies that are good at that or at least getting better at that. It will be interesting to revisit some of those movies, uh, like the 40-year-old Virgin Anchorman era movies, and how they uh, uh, approach these friendships. Because I'm sure with time, it'll get more and more cringe-inducing. So, for the record, I saw the 40-year-old Virgin and Superbad for the first time last year. Really? Oh. Horrific. (laughs) (laughs) See, I love both those movies time. And so I'm wondering... Like, in my top 10 favorite movies, so... Yeah, it'll be. I I I kind of want to rewatch some of those because there will definitely be some cringe-inducing scenes, and you never, 
you always want to be careful when saying, oh, it was a product of its time or what was happening at the time. And I think the way to approach that will probably be what is the part of it is the the intent. And what of this is um, intent is also a tricky thing, but also like what of this is growing pains? Like, was this forward thinking for the time or like were they trying to do more at the time? Well, and I think even aside from that, I mean, people grow and people change. Obviously, not all of us started off as socially aware as we are now. So, like, you don't want to excuse things as being a product of their time. Because oh, yeah. that's how old people get sure. away with being racist. Yes. But was, you can <laughs> watch a movie like the 40-year-old version and be like, this is funny. I can understand why 15-year-old me really liked this. And mm-hmm. now I can see the things that are inherently problemat- problematic about it. But I can still enjoy it for what it is. You can yeah. like things and be critical of them. And yes. so many people forget that. And we talk about that all the time on this podcast. But literally it's like, all it's, the time. but it's so important because people yeah. literally are like, the minute you start criticizing something, they want to say that like you don't understand it or you're just being a hater or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can talk about how ridiculous V for Vendetta is while still enjoying watching V for Vendetta. I can talk about how science is literally magic is the worst ending ever, but still (laughs) say that the prestige is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Like you have to be able to critically examine the things that you like. That should actually just be the tagline of our podcast. Honestly. honestly. (laughs) Going to add that to the description. (laughs) Two nerds shuffling their way through the IMDb with guests and critically examining the things that they like. <laughs> yes. Love it. Let's films in, checking you on your bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. Oh, man. I want that's... that written on my grave. <laughs> I just Let's just come up with a couple taglines and that will be our description. Like, checking you on your bullshit. <laughs> critically examining the things they love. Chris Evans. Jurassic World is trash. Eli Roth. I'd rather not. Anime obsessions. Anime obsessions. That's a, that's a new development. <laughs> See, I was no, that is the reemergence. It's true. Of I was a, I was once a young anime trash, and now I am a grown up anime trash. <laughs> <laughs> Character that's development. How is made. And I mean, even with the Aptal crew and anyone making those movies, and like this is only this is this is like the grown up version of the stand stand by me discussion, but. Also remembering that they were younger at the time too, and that they have evolved since then and mm-hmm. all that. And definitely, we're all growing older and getting wiser. Unless you're getting more and more jaded. It's the lesson of the <laughs> movie: you grow older and you grow wiser, yeah. and you treasure the things that you learned as a as a youth. Yes. And I will say this: like one thing that I've been meaning to come back to, I think. Um, uh, have you, I think you've seen Neighbors. Yeah. I feel like that if that film was made in 2005, it would have been a disaster. Like when you take like all this like college heteronormativity, I don't think it would have been as easily well received. Like 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 in retrospect, like I think if that had been made like 10 years ago, that would have been a disaster, but I think as times progressed, that movie like finally like I think that movie finally made I'm not sure. I know it was successful. And I I I get what you're picking up because um Although the, the the Zac Efron Party Boy feels a little bit like mid two thousands American Pie, but um, <laughs> but the movie itself and like the like the and even the relationship between uh, Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne, who is a a woman in like an Apatow universe comedy that is allowed to be funny, which is nice. Um, yeah. But that movie is a product of like the years of movies that came before it, 
and was I, I feel like they got to this place because like you had to do like the super bad and the um and like the I love you mans and the movies like that to get they kind to, of like, pushed it in the right direction slowly but surely yeah mm-hmm. yeah. 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 No. Yeah. That's what that was exactly what I was trying to get at. So thank you. <laughs> we got there together. Yeah. <laughs> this tangential point that is important and somehow related to Stand by Me. But not, we've actually so, done a pretty good job staying on the rails. I think. No. Episode. No. I've, I've we've had some good discussions. I'm a big fan. Probably like <laughs> me saying. One thing about Stand by Me, I wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, spoiler. You don't have to worry about spoilers. Um. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the ending? Like how it just kind of stops? Did it have an effect on you or was it just, it, oh, it's it, over? Or did you feel it was appropriate? Or I'm kind of curious about that. It was a little sudden. Yep. It's a very abrupt ending without a doubt. And it's, you got to be careful whenever it's a, when you're making a movie as a movie maker, <laughs> I can say this. I don't make movies, but. Uh, you, whenever they have like the closing credit scene like this person went on to do this and this person went on to do this which this is um a a more subtle version of it's always it always could feel a little cheap or a little dangerous or like a storytelling shortcut but i feel like it is here they do it in a manner that is true to the story Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of talking about the further evolution of the development that has gone on during this tale. Okay. And I also feel that, and more to the point, the sudden ending where it's just kind of over. That's what I was more feel... talking about. The when he, it comes back to present day and his sons are like, hey, we want to go swimming. And yeah. he finishes the story and then directed by Rob Reiner pops up. That's what I was referring to more. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, it is sudden, but I feel... It, it it worked pretty well for me. I feel like it is this whole thing has been like an episode in their lives and then their lives go on. And so like it is a non it, I, I feel like it is an example of this story does not end like this is, was not the beginning of their story and it's not the end of their story. And no matter where you leave it, there's a lot more that's going to happen. And so it's going to feel kind of sudden. Um, as we don't get a whole lot of Richard Dreyfus after he finishes the story, but I feel like we don't need that. And I honestly didn't want a lot of that. Like grown up Gordy, it was not that interesting. It, it, it was not that interesting to me. The very basics of it are important. Like he became, he followed his writer dream and then he had kids and he was a really good father to those kids. And I really feel that was all that was needed. And so I'm glad it, we didn't get more, any more of that. I'm okay with him just finishing the story, that episode of his – getting done reliving that episode of his life and then going to play with his kids because he's a good dad now. I feel it's it's sudden, but I feel like it works and that it is earned. Do you – or Kayla, I guess, yes. Um. Well, the way that I feel about it is that the whole movie is very much has like a vignette feeling because, I mean, it's based on a short story and that's kind of what – We talked are. about how it was episodic to yeah, begin with. So, I mean, you kind of just get dropped in in the middle of it where, yeah. like, they're already best – like, you, like we don't see them becoming friends. We just are already in the middle of their very close friendship. We get the bare minimum information about all of them that we need to feel an emotional attachment to them. And then we go through the story and then we're done. So to me, I feel like the ending 
is like I didn't really feel like it was sudden. I felt like it just made sense. Like yeah. he's done telling the story of the time they went to find the dead body, and that's it. Like that was all he set out to do, and that was what he did. So for me, it's just kind of it. It was fitting for me. Okay. Okay. It sounds like it was. It at least stood out more to you. It sounds like. Yeah, it's just um. I remember that was one of the big things that stood out to me was that when director Rob, directed by Rob Reiner, popped up, I was like, oh wow, that. No, that was that was quick. Maybe it was because the last line of the film is typed, not said. Maybe that's why. <laughs> it doesn't age super well just by the fact mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, that's what computers look On like. That back then. App, that's right. <laughs> desktop computer. I think it, I don't even think it was a computer. I'm pretty sure it was just a word processor. It, it, it yeah. was a yeah. bold yeah. choice. Uh, I mean, it feels like a bold choice now, anyways, to do that. Maybe at the time it felt more natural. I feel like a typewriter would have been more timeless. But yeah, I mean, yeah that, that product of the times, yeah. See, yeah. I don't really, I don't, I don't mind when things are dated like that, though. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. It's just, no, I didn't dislike well, it either. It just, it stood out to me. That's you know, like I, a lot of people have problems with that, though, like with things being dated, and I don't understand that because it's like why. Like, I don't want everything to have, like, a timeless oh. feeling. I definitely want it to feel like it was part of this part of history. And it's so, not like that was, like, bad product placement that's going to look no, silly no. in a while. It's just, like, that was the technology of the times. So that's what he would have been using. So I, the, I, I did not find that to be a bad thing at all. It's just – it pulled me out of it a little bit, but not so much that I wasn't appreciating the last line and how it all happened and all that. It's not like Sony in the night before. <laughs> Sony in any movie, Spider-Man has a movies. ton of Sony, <laughs> exactly. but um, no, I I uh I, w- I was okay with that, and okay. it's and also like on the ending of the movie, it's uh, it, it's always interesting how Stephen King can give you a happy ending, but it also be like yeah, but not everyone turned out well, all right. It's real, it's real life. That's he's, how it works. He's yeah. real focused on making it seem realistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being like true to how human interactions well, yeah that's true like that. i mean think yeah. about how many people that we talk to from grade school or high school not very many no. and we have very different opinions of them than we did it's also interesting how he talks about where they are now and i'm like how did he know that at the time he didn't have facebook oh my god <laughs> did they check did, it did he like I think he Talk to people. That, I think he mentions that he heard around. Yeah, or something. yeah. Okay, oh. that that would that would give it a pass. Yeah. <laughs> it was just because <laughs> now we could do that. Be like, yeah, I was uh, last last time I checked his Facebook, he was you know he was being a professor, and then I saw his wife post something about an article about how he died, and it was just wow, that really hit me. Sorry, that's we could do a mod do we want to remake stand by me yes they're remaking memento already so i think stand by me is fair game let's, let's remake do this stand by me but with girls yeah Ooh, that would be good yeah we can think about how angry all old white men would oh, be i know we can get we, it'll be like we can cash in on that ghostbusters marketing that'll come with everybody being like this is just like the time they re- remade ghostbusters all, with all those women <laughs> now they're taking the movie about boys too this is Bullshit. As that we movie all know. was about young boys, not young girls. Who the fuck do you think you are? As oh. we all know, middle class white boys have so little representation to look forward to in the coming years. It's really hard to find their movies on the IMDb. I know. It's really, I feel really bad for them. They only have like 19 of the top 20 movies. And you know, everything else in life. God, what is this? I'm one of them. Why? I can't, like, yeah. 
you are self-aware and it's good. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I was going to comment on you because you mentioned the character development. I guess it does make a point to introduce each character and how they are, but I still feel like it wasn't super clunky. I, I enjoyed I didn't think it was super clunky despite the occasionally clunky narration that I didn't totally love. I am not a huge fan of narration over movies. We talked about this. In... Also, Richard Dreyfuss's voice. I guess that's probably what they're going for, but I'm like, man, he's boring. Boring. This narration well, is boring. Just like, well, he's just like your typical dad dude narrating yeah, a story. Which, like, it makes sense, because that's who that guy would, that kid would grow up to be. It was just like, <laughs> I just listened to a Stephen King audiobook, and it was way more interesting than this. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of the narration, but I feel like when they, in introducing the characters, their actions uh, introduce them well enough that the words don't feel clunky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it feels like we're all roundly positive about this movie, which is not what, which is not how Kayla necessarily felt coming in. A I... more leery, a little leery. Yeah, I'm just glad to have a chance to not be, like, the curmudgeon for a while. <laughs> it's like, guys, I liked the movie you liked, too! To be fair, I feel like, again, really the only movie I've been overtly negative about was Shutter Island. And it's because Shutter Island sucks. And then, yeah, the movie's bad. Does not age well, and... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just letting you know I'm in the same boat as you, like... I appreciate that. <laughs> I think I wrapped it up already, but yeah, it sounds like we were all... It sounds like we were all pretty positive on the movie, which is pretty cool. I enjoyed this movie. It was a pretty a pretty well-done uh, coming-of-age tale, which I yeah. always enjoy. I think there's a reason this film is a benchmark when it comes to coming-of-age stories. It's definitely seen as one of those films that, I don't know, is well-regarded like as a genre staple. Mm-hmm. And I can see, I can definitely see why. I think it's, I think it's really well done. I think it has a lot of emotion, good character development. And yeah, there's a lot going on that's really good. For sure. And with that, let's move on to our recommendations, where I'm pretty sure some coming-of-age tales are going to come up. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> but Landon, let, I, as our guest, give us your recommendation. Okay. Um, I actually, while we were doing this, I have another thing I want to recommend. It's not a movie, but it relates to Stand By Me. Uh, well, the first thing I'm going to recommend is the film The End of the Tour that came out this year. Uh, In the film, uh, for those of you that don't know the plot, uh, Jesse Eisenberg plays David Lipsky, a writer for Rolling Stone, who goes on the last five days of David Foster Wallace's book tour, who is portrayed by Jason Segel. And a lot of the film is just the conversations that these two have with each other. And uh, it's just extremely um, interesting to listen to them talk about life and the future. And there's just, I don't know, it's just just a really great movie with a lot of um, mood and... uh, a lot of a lot of development, which is always great. And uh, the film was directed by James um, Ponsoltz, I believe, who directed the spectacular the the spectacular now, which I did not really like, but I um, as a film, but I liked a lot of what the direction was trying to do, and I think a lot of it comes out in this movie. So, and um, ne- next to possibly Inside Out, this is my favorite film of 2015 that I've seen. And I would highly recommend that you check this out. Um, it came out on DVD very recently, so look out for that. And the other thing that I thought of that I would recommend is, um, do you, either of you listen to the band Pup? Yes, actually. Okay. I know. I, I would recommend checking out the music video for the song Guilt Trip, which is very Stand By Me-ish and coming of age. Um, the it, t- it details like a fictional retelling of how the four members met and how they were like outcasts and uh, how they were just kind of 
thrusted upon each other, like as far as friendships go, like they just kind of came into each other and it's very, um, a lot of it occurs in the woods and how their band came to be and how they grew up in uh, uh, like unstable home lives, or at least that's how the video portrays it. And it's really well shot. And um, Pup is a band whose music videos are always very um, grand in size in a, in a time where I think music videos have been on the decline. So I would highly recommend checking that music video out, as well as checking out the band Pup because they're fucking awesome. It's too that's too bad about music videos. They're just not as financially feasible as they used to be, unfortunately. Oh yeah. Unless you're Taylor Swift. <laughs> exactly. Taylor Swift. And then you could afford to bring so many people on that it becomes and a cultural. Destroy topic. a mansion in the process and destroy all your <laughs> yeah. all your boyfriends. Um <laughs> ugh, never mind. <laughs> Kayla? Valuable to say i'm sorry kayla go ahead <laughs> uh, my recommendation for the week is the movie super 8 which was directed by jj abrams who i am usually pretty down on but i remember when this movie came out i actually saw it in theaters like four or five times because i went with wow. a couple of different well i went with a couple of different friend groups i think we saw this movie in theaters together actually yeah we did. Of, okay yep. and um i just remember the first time i saw that movie leaving and being like this must be what it felt like to go to the movies like in the 70s or the 80s and come away feeling like something magical has happened because like we're so inundated again with this whole like blockbuster culture that just like kind of those like movies I mean Super 8 isn't very simple because it has the whole alien plot but like just like that awesome train crash in the middle yes (laughs) but like it just very much had like that like old-timey feel like where it wasn't trying to be a franchise it wasn't trying to be anything other than the story about these kids surviving this event and becoming better for it and it's beautifully shot um all again it's another movie where this performances of the child actors far outstrip that of the adult actors um although if you do try to play the lens flare drinking game in this movie you will Uh almost certainly die Uh like you will die Please do not do the lens flare drinking game during this movie. What if you do like the Spielberg throwback drinking game? Will you also die? Yes. If you do that? Dead. Tell me about it. Oh. Well, we joked about that because like at the end when the ship like leaves or whatever, it's literally just a five minute blank screen of lens flares. And I'm like, so is this where you just like give up and finish the bottle and condemn yourself to alcohol poisoning or <laughs> what? Depends on what you're drinking really. But yeah, finish the bottle. Just down it. Just <laughs> It's like if you were playing Waterfall and someone was being a jerk and just kept drinking. And drinking yeah, and just down pretty much. It. There's no point prolonging it. Like the it. first five minutes of Star Trek. Ooh. But yeah, uh, so yeah, that's my recommendation for the week. Tyler. I was also thinking of bringing out a, um, a more modern coming-of-age tale. Something like, I don't know, like an Adventureland or a Juno, something like that. But Both of those being great. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, it came to mind a movie I have only seen since we started the podcast. Actually, I think I talked about it in a recently watched section a while ago. Dead Poets Society. Ooh. It's another movie. It's another movie about boys that are a little older, but this group of boys kind of finding themselves in this place, learning what they stand for. Tragedy ensues along the way. At some point, it's a little bittersweet because of certain things that happen. But I feel it is a very well-executed, emotionally deft movie about, you know, being a young white man and getting older. (laughs) The timeless classic story. Yeah! (laughs) Also, Robin Williams is incredible. So, 
Yeah. And you know what? I forgot to mention earlier. There's a new Hunger Games movie. I mean, yep. there's a new Philip. There are new Philip Seymour Hoffman scenes Ugh. out in the world. Don't remind me. We also didn't even talk about River Phoenix and his tragic. Every, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows about that. All the people that died too young right now in this quick thirty-second while. <laughs> yeah, we are sad and have feelings <laughs> about wasted talent. Well, let's get away from emotions and get to some hard, hard trivia about this movie, Kayla. All right. So I'm actually gonna read two things because I think that it's kind of hilarious. Also cheating. <laughs> Sorry. Do you want me to let you read one so that it's not it's No, it's too late. They kind of tie into each other. Okay, so <laughs> because okay, so Rob Reiner is like a he was like a super non-smoker and he campaigned for anti-smoking laws in California like way before anybody else. The cigarettes that the boys smoked were all made from cabbage leaves, which is actually more disgusting than smoking a real cigarette, I think. But it's funny that that happened and that he was so anti like smoking and then turned around and they bought cookies from a Ren fair that was nearby for like the whole cast and crew. And then it turned out that they were pot cookies. So Jerry O'Connell apparently ate a bunch of cookies, flipped out because they were full of pot. (laughs) And the crew found him like two hours later sobbing in the woods (laughs) because he was like too high to function. Jerry. So he tried to keep them from doing bad things, and he failed. <laughs> oh, Rob Reiner. <laughs> he did his best. <laughs> he did his best. He did his best. So Tyler, what is your fun stat of the week? So my stat this week is about genre on the IMDb 250 again. Now, Stand By Me is not actually tagged as a family movie, probably because there are approximately 250 curse words uttered in this movie also children smoke and there's a dead body but i wanted to touch on how many family movies are on the imdb 250 and so only 11 movies in the imdb 250 carry the family tag granted the genre tags in the imdb are weird and arbitrary at certain points but with so many crime dramas on there there's only so much space for a family movie and so we only have those 11, which make up about 4% of the list. Yeah, 4.4% of the list, which is, if counting, not that many movies. The only genres represented less on there are sports, musicals, horror, film noir, and westerns. Which is really a bummer about horror. And film noir is kind of surprising, too, given how much it likes old movies. I'm curious what horror is on the 250. I haven't, like, just kind of going through that, like, now that you think of it, I don't really recall a lot of horror on there. I was no. like, we had to super rein ourselves in during October because we were like, well, we're need, we need to have movies for next year, so we can't do all of them right now. Yeah, we could have, like, if we had done, like, Halloween, Alien, The Shining, and... Shutter Island. <laughs> that was At actually, Shutter Island, that, that would take actually, out, like, half the horror movies. That was actually why we picked Shutter Island, because we were like, okay, I Yes, this. But then works. we did Alien for like a really good horror movie, and I mean, certain movies on there are horror-ish, but they don't they aren't tagged horror or they're tagged horror, and it's like oh, that's weird. So we can spread it out to get maybe twelve to fifteen horror movies total, but only eight are tagged as such. And again, regardless ulti- of anything, it's a pretty not very well represented genre. Yeah, and again, ultimately our goal is to command an audience so vast that we can just make movies appear on the two fifty at will. Oh, okay. So hopefully someday. <laughs> We can do that. And do you know how you can help us do that? <laughs> you can do it by liking us on Facebook, 
which is facebook.com slash let the right films in uh, for a more fun and interactive way to get a hold of us and talk to us and generally see Tyler being ridiculous on the internet. So, you can follow us on Twitter, which is at LTRFIPod. You can also email us, LTRFIPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So that pretty much... I, the reason I interjected was because I thought you were going to tell people to go on the IMDb and rate the movies on there. I was just, do we really need to promote IMDb anymore on this no, podcast? No, no, but no. But go on IMDb, create an account participate in their forums maybe create a couple lists rate some movies you guys. become <laughs> anyway. one of their top raters and then you will actually contribute to the imdb 250 and i don't know like post about it on facebook how much you love imdb anyway you can find our podcast on itunes and soundcloud we would be eternally grateful if you would rate us on itunes because that is apparently the thing that matters most when you are a podcast we are available on all of your favorite podcast apps, such as Podbay. And new this week, we are finally on Stitcher, which to me means that we have made it. So I use Pocket Casts. We are also on there. I'm pretty sure that just pulls from iTunes, though. So Yeah, I think most of them do. Most I think that's why do. we're on Podbay, because I use Podbay. Yeah, I had to submit to Stitcher because they, they, they do it differently. I actually want to look into how they do their business even more. But yeah, so basically you can listen to us whenever and wherever you want on all devices and things and we would really like it and we feel very blessed to have an audience and all of that cool stuff yeah you're some delightful nerds even when you you know like shutter island and things like that i like all of the nerds because they all (laughs) back me up in the chris evans corner chris kyle's on my side yeah but that doesn't count. Anyway, um, it has been a pleasure to have you on, Landon. Thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I really love this podcast, and I was uh, I was happy that you were receptive to having me on because I I felt at first I'll admit I was I felt really weird just saying hey would you like a guest sometime? But oh my god! The... Literally anybody can be on our podcast. We love all of you. Okay, I was so worried that I was like coming off as desperate, like when I asked you about. Oh my god! That. No, no. Not at all. That reminds me, actually, Landon is also a part of a podcast. So if you could please tell us about your podcast so that we can put it on here and in the show notes and all of that, and hopefully get you at least two extra listens. <laughs> yeah, cool. No, I would appreciate that. Um, no, I am the co-host of the Valley Vanguard podcast. Um, the Valley Vanguard is SVSU's on-campus student-run newspaper, and we started doing a, pod- a weekly podcast this semester. Uh, we are seven episodes deep so far. Um, during October, I was sick with strep throat, and yet still am, but we're still doing it. Um, so there was like a little gap in between there. But um, no, we, what we do is um, it's very similar to the Nerdist podcast in style and form where we have a little brief intro. We do recommendations. We plug some stuff. Uh, music transitions into an hour-long conversational interview with people around SVSU's campus, professors and students primarily doing really, really cool things on campus. So I um, we, we would really appreciate, um, appreciate it if you would check that out. Um, we... Uh, don't know how to get on iTunes yet, but we're working on it. We can help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. Thank you so much. Also, um, for the people that aren't in Michigan, SVSU is Saginaw Valley State University. I forgot that this is not just local. So. <laughs> yeah. Saginaw is actually where I grew up, so it's funny that you go there. <laughs> but, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I grew up my entire life in Saginaw. We went to school really in Saginaw. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I, 
I didn't know that. That's really cool, though. <laughs> we will not be mentioning our high school on this podcast ever. Nah. We'll talk about it later. Fine. Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, in order to listen right now, um, you can go to the Valley Vanguard's Facebook page and like us. And every week, we I post a link to my Dropbox account, and then you just click the link, the unique link, and then you can listen to it or download it that way um, until we get on iTunes. <laughs> So that is Landon's podcast, and you should listen to it because it sounds like it's super awesome. Thank you. And, yeah, that is pretty much all we have for this week. Again, thank you, Landon. Thanks, Tyler, I guess, for being here or whatever. What up? <laughs> Since we already talked about how Jurassic World is a terrible movie and always will be, we will lead out with Tyler's new tagline. Uh, Eli Roth. I just, I'd rather not. Basically, the trailer's going to cut off, and then it's going to be me going, Oh, darling, darling! <laughs> <laughs> yes. well. You just swear so emphatically, Kayla. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> All right.